Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Well, good morning. Oh, wow. Good morning. How are we all doing? There we are. That's good. Good morning. Happy Sunday. It is so good to see you, whether you're here or you're joining us online. So glad that you're here. My name is Jeff Bachman. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I get the privilege to come and teach with you today. So I'm, I'm so glad that you joined us here today. Um, we are, if you're new uh, to Northgate, first off, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. If you are new, we've got an area outside called the New Friends and Family Area. So if it's your first, second, or third time, or if you're new or back and just want to Introduce yourselves. We would love the chance to get to meet you. We have a, we actually have a gift for you. It's a, it's a Matthew journal that kind of walks alongside what we're doing. So we as a church have made the decision about a year and a half ago that we're preaching through the book of Matthew and we are up to Matthew six. Got a ways to go. Um, we, uh, we, we just talked this last week. Uh, we, we have things planned out till 2025. So that's really exciting. That's really cool, but it's like, whoa, that's a lot. So we are preaching through Matthew right now. We're up to Matthew 6. We believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed and, and beneficial for, for us. And so we, we sit and we, we go through each one of, the, uh, of these verses, and we go through each one of the passages to see what it is that God has for us today. So we've been going through Matthew. We're up to 6, and we actually we get to end Matthew 6. Come on. Yeah. So we're ending Matthew 6 today, and um, it's, it's a great passage. So um, let me ask you this question. Ask you this question. Uh, and the question is this. Uh, I, I ask it of myself when I'm in a store, in life, but, but do you ask this of yourself? How, how much do I need? Anybody ever ask yourself that? How much do I need of, of toilet paper when we're in Costco? You're here. You're at Costco. We should just get it, right? You don't want to have to come back. Uh, we're at Target. What else? How much do I need? How much do I need? The answer that I usually give myself in whatever it is that I'm talking about, in, in whatever area of my, how much do I need? The answer is always this, more. I need more. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I need a little bit more. <clears throat> when um, a couple, couple weeks ago, my family and I, we found out some very um, disturbing news it was, it was hard for us. So, well, let me take a step back and tell you that me and my family, we have a deep love for not only all treats, but a treat that we as a family really love are crumble cookies. Anybody else? <laughs> crumble cookies? Okay, so it's a room full of liars here. That's, so crumble, it's a, it's a franchise cookie thing, and, and they have different ones around here. I think there's actually one coming to Fairfield. They're around, but what I was told, we found out the fact that crumble has one specific cookie, this cookie up here on the screen. And this crumble cookie up on the screen, it's the pink, I eat, right? Who wouldn't want a cookie that big? But it's a, it's a pink sugar cookie. Has anyone ever had the pink sugar cookie? Okay, so you know. You know, the pink sugar cookie, it just speaks to your soul different. It just, it just slaps just a little dip, different than everything else, and it's good. And so they announced a couple weeks ago, they said, we are discontinuing the pink cookie. I know, that's what we said. So we, you know what we did? We got in the car and we drove. We drove and we found, we, you laugh, we did it. We, so we went and we got, we bought, I'm not gonna say we bought a lot of cookies because that would be like a sin, but we bought an obscene amount of cookies <laughs> and we took them home and we wrapped them up. So there is now currently in our freezer, there are cookies 
that are individually wrapped, and every now and again, and no, I won't share them with you, so just don't even ask. I'm not giving them, but every once in a while, we'll pull one of them out, and we'll cut it up, and we'll just sit there, and we'll eat it, and we'll say, oh no, it's, it's, it's going to go away, but we have these, and that's, that's what you do. When you find out that there's not going to be enough of something, you go and you grab it, and you take it, because you always need just a little bit more. We're going to be finishing up the chapter uh, six of Matthew, where we're going to be looking at this idea of provision and God as our provider. And how we can come to a place of, of, of being satisfied by what God is doing in our lives. And, and it starts out like this. We're going to look at Matthew uh, 6, 16, but I just wanted to point this out. Because it starts out in Matthew 6, 1, and it says this. It says, be careful. Other translations say, take care. But it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. There's this slow soul drift that takes place. And, and Jesus knew. He knew that if we weren't cautious, that our, our, our attention, our soul, our head and our heart would lose focus. So to take care, to be careful of those things. And, and, and I think the thing is this, because as he's talking about different disciplines, so it's interesting, but I think here's what it's saying. We are hardwired as human beings. We're hardwired to set our, our heads and our hearts away from the things of God. And he knows that. Even when it comes to disciplines, even when it's things that he says, because in this, in this first passage, he's talking about fasting, about giving to the poor, and about prayer. And yet, even in those things, he says that there's something that we can do to, to, to focus our attention some other place. Because here's the truth, is that anything that you can do, you can then do better. You can improve on it. And other people can give you attention because I think that we are just kind of, we are wired for wanting praise from other people. And we're, we're wired to be told, good job on those things. But here's the truth. Our private and our public lives and our actions matter. They do, they matter. And not only to God, but they matter to us. And if we are able to figure out these things that God calls us to live and to be, we are gonna be able to experience a, a, a freedom of life in Christ in the way that he designed us for. That's what he wants us to do and to be. So turn with me. We're going to look at Matthew 6, and then we're going to do Matthew 6, 16 and following. So it starts like this. It says, Matthew 6, 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Fasting. In the, in the biblical sense, like the, the original term is this idea of to abstain from food. I like the translation the message gives of fasting. It's, it's appetite denying discipline. So it's saying that there are things that we desire and it's setting those to the side and, it, and it's pushing them off. I think typically for these people in this time, they would, they would fast because again, those people, they didn't have, in, in biblical times, they didn't have a refrigerator. So it was literally that you would, you would find food and you would eat it and you would consume it. And grain was the only thing that would stick around, but it was, it, it's, it's daily bread. It's that thing. And so it was us saying, the very thing that I need, I'm going to set it aside. And typically when you would fast, you would go to sleep and then in the morning you would wake up and you would break that fast, which is where the term breakfast comes from. See that? That's a free one for you guys, high schoolers. Uh, breakfast. So, uh, but ultimately, fasting is about this idea of self-denial. It's about self-discipline. And it's humbling ourselves, saying, God, you're my portion. 
You're everything to me. I will give it to you and I will trust that you will provide for me. And then I will seek you for results and direction and companionship and sustenance. And I will set all these things aside. Even when I, as Larry even said it last week, talked about our wanter, talking about the fact that we have desires as a human being. And, and for food, interestingly enough, for food, it starts out as something that we need. We need food to live. We need it. And yet that thing that is a basic human need can become a basic human sin because we can go from want to greed very, very quickly. But ultimately in this, as we talk about this idea of fasting, it's, it's this idea and it's a simple single word. It's this word mastery of saying that if we give things permission in our lives, when we give permission for these things, they will take control of us. And so it's good to take those things and set them aside. It's good to say, I don't need this. God is my portion. He is enough. And so we set that aside. It's saying what is in charge of you. It's showing things and other people who is boss. And I would say anything that has the potential to take the place of God, anything that becomes that in your lives, what it needs to either be eliminated or at the very least controlled at different points in times. How and when you would fast in these, uh, with the disciples would kind of identify you as being with a different teacher. So the people of this time had an issue with the times and the ways that Jesus was fasting. Jesus actually said in this season, he said, you don't need to fast right now. There will be a time to fast because fasting was associated with mourning. He said, now's not the time to fast. You will fast. And everyone else is saying, how dare you fast? Don't you see? I'm fasting. And everyone should know that I'm fasting. And then Jesus goes on to say, actually, you're, you're not supposed to show it. You're not supposed to be somber. This fasting is designed for you. It's not designed for everyone else. It's not supposed to be a show. My, um, my wife and I were talking this week. So I don't think this is true anymore. But um, we, I know for you students, you guys are getting into like finals time and things like that. We used to, when it was, when it was finals time, that would be the time when you kind of had permission to go to school and like dress down. You know, I know that we now have like, what is it, athleisure and things like that. Like you, you get to wear sweats all the time. But it was at that time, it's like, that's not what you did. I knew people, this is, I, had, I had girls who were friends in my life who would intentionally like, they would get ready to dress down in the day. They would like get themselves ready to make sure that they looked like they had been like kind of tired and downtrodden. And again, before Starbucks, but this is like the permission that we had to like go to Starbucks or to go get coffee and to walk around. And so you'd walk around school all day and you're like, you have on your, your sweats and you have your coffee and everyone's like, wow, you're so tired. You're like, I was just studying for finals. I'm so tired. <sighs> just barely making it. Just, you need to know how hard I'm working. And it's like, don't, it's a show. It's a show. So, but he says, don't be gloomy. Don't be doomy. It's something that you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to gain attention for it. And I think that that's true of every part of our lives. I mean, you can, you can fast from social media, right? How many of you have seen somebody take a social media fast? Those are never quiet, right? Hey, just so you guys, just so you know, I need to let you know, I'm going to be off social media for a while. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. You're going to miss me. I'm going to go but I'm not going to be here. So you're probably not going to, I got to go. I got to go. I'm fasting. Hey, I'm fasting everybody. I know. God bless you all. Right. Have you ever seen that? But but people kind of like just declare this thing. Here's a sign that you may need to fast from social media. If you ever get on, you go, Hey guys, people have been asking me like, nobody's been asking you. Not a single person has been asking you. Nobody wanted to know your hair tips. I'm so sorry. Nobody did. So, but fasting. Fasting's a good thing. It's good to set those things aside to say, say who's in control. In the first half of Matthew that we were looking at, uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus is describing this, uh, a Christian's private life. 
And interestingly enough, he describes it as the secret place. And yet so often, we as human beings go and take that secret place development and we flip it. We think that if we develop the things on the outside, that the inside will follow. If I, get, if I get in shape, if I look better, if I work harder, if I earn more money, if more people say more things about me, if my name is more powerful, then maybe my character will follow. And yet that's never true. That's never, it's rarely true that your character is going to follow that. It's the other way around and Jesus knows that. He says, go to your secret place and work on those things and then the other things will come. And so in 19 through 34, it focuses now in these external uh, exercises, these external practices, which interestingly enough, it can also then be that we go and take our external and our internal life and kind of almost divorce those two. Saying that Jesus cares about these things that are going on on the inside, but these things on the outside, those are, those are secular. That's just, that's my workplace, that's my family. I go grocery shopping. And what that ultimately is saying is saying that God is only a part of this internal part of my life which is dangerous, right? We, you know, because the good Christians go to, go to church on Sunday, right? And maybe if, if you're a really good Christian, you go on Sunday and then you do a Wednesday night activity. Like that's what a good Christian does, right? I'm being facetious. But we then take our Monday through our Saturday and that's ours. That's mine. And I kind of, and I keep God to the side of that. Because what ultimately happens is that if I invite him into those parts of how, of how I parent and how I work at my job and how I spend my finances, it's then making me aware of the fact that he, he cares about all of that. And then when I'm cognizant of it, then I need to do something about it. So if I don't even consider it, then now he's not a part of that. But God wants, wants all that. And so Jesus lays out, he lays out this list in this next part where he essentially says, you get to choose heavenly treasures versus earthly treasures. He, gets to, he lays out these things where he says that for, for both light and dark, that you are choosing that. He says for, for God and for money, you choose for that. And then he also declares, it says, for your bodies or for God's kingdom. And each one of those are laid out. And he says, I give you this choice. But don't forget that when he was talking about these, he had just talked about this idea of denying ourselves, setting things aside because our desires, because don't forget we tend to go that way, right? Interestingly, and we'll look at it in this next part when it talks about heavenly treasures and earthly treasures, but he says that we're supposed to consider and to set those things aside because, because we have an opportunity to develop greed about the things that we focus our head and our heart on. So Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this, says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your hearts will also be. I think it's also worth mentioning just just briefly of saying that money itself is not evil. Money's neutral, Okay. And so it's actually not evil to have money or have more money than the next person. What it says in 1 Timothy 6.10 is that the love of money is the thing that's evil. And so often we sit here and we think that this, that this passage alone is just like, don't just get a lot of stuff. And yet again, all of these practices are about more of the heart. It's more of the internal. It's more about what, what Jesus is doing in us than the actual actions. Do you know that you can store up treasures and it not even be stuff that you collect? It's not just a big room of like gold and money and couches and things like that, which I'm not sure why I said couch, but it's like the big storehouse of stuff, right? It can even be that we develop some level of pride of the things that we have and we don't have. About a year and a half ago, um, I bought a new car. Well, new to me. 
about a 2003 Buick Century. Take a look. It's, it's a, it's a, I even did a photo shoot, so it's quite a majestic car. Look at that. Look at that beautiful steed. So this is a car. I bought it from its original owner. Its name is Mary Carroll because that was the, the name of the owner. And so uh, the DMV took her license away because she was using the bumpers to find too many other things. So, so he got sold to me. Now, this is a fantastic car. I love this car. I, I, it's a, you should, I will give you a ride in this car. No, you can't borrow it. I love it too much. But this is a great car. It is, it is a, it's a sofa that's going down the freeway. At 65 miles an hour, that's what it is. It's so comfortable, and you just sit there. But I found myself, so full confession, we're in a safe place here, we're friends. I found myself, because I bought this car, it was pretty affordable, I paid cash for it, is that I drive around and I look at other people and I go, look at those people with their car payments. Can you even believe it? How could anyone ever experience an amount of pride from this? And yet I walk around and I just go, oh, look, what, look at the things that I've done. I, and you go, oh, I, I, think you're missing, I think you're missing the point. Because again, it's a heart issue. Jesus is dealing with the heart as far as storing up our treasures. And it's a heart issue. It's perspective. And it's an attitude of who is in control and who is the provider. I heard somebody say once, and it's a little extreme, but you'll get the point. The, the purpose of, of life is to have our last breath and our last paycheck run out at the same time. Right? Again, a little extreme, but but I think you get it. And so for us, make no mistake, Jesus is saying you shouldn't aspire to collect things, to be greedy, to acquire too many things. But I also think this is this idea of that we can store and hoard all sorts of things that don't fit in a box. Our name. Have you ever tried to store up your your um, what people say about you? Your your power, your influence. Those are things that I, I, I aspire for. I strive for people to say those things. And Jesus says they're worthless. Your name doesn't mean anything. It'll fall apart this side, on that, that side of heaven. And yet what he calls us to do is replace those earthly treasures with heavenly. Interesting, I never read this passage and went to the second part of it. I was always like, just don't get stuff. And yet here I look at this and it says, no, in fact, don't get those things. Replace it with something else. Spend your time seeking after heavenly treasures. And as I spent time studying God's word, it's this. Here's the definition that I can come to. It says, anything temporal that has eternal impact. Let me say that again. Anything temporal that has eternal impact, meaning that you have time, effort, you can spend your time doing something. So then make the things that you spend time doing have a lasting eternal impact. So maybe that's growth in your own character, which is that, that idea of sanctification, When we say yes to Jesus, if we can grow in our relationship with him, you can also, Paul indicates in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that of of everything, faith, love, and hope remain. And so develop in those sort of things, maybe. Develop in that. We We can store treasures in heaven with the generosity of time and talents and treasures. I mean, it's Aaron talked about it here in Generous Living. It says in In 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and 8, each of you should give what you have been decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God gives us things and we have an opportunity to mobilize those resources so that others can be benefited. We give our time in building community and we we have talents 
As we, as we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in us and gives us gifts, gives us gifts. And those gifts are meant to benefit others, not just yourselves. So we have an opportunity to do that. Can I ask you, because I, I say it of myself, when's the last time you became obsessed with collecting those treasures? When's the last time that you said, how, how much more can I give away? When's the last time that you asked how, if, if you're spending enough time with people, making them, having them walk away feeling better about themselves than when, when you met them? And do you, do you work on giving away your gifts? Giving away the things that God has blessed you with? Matthew 6, 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Scripture seems to indicate that there's a strong tie between the eyes, like the physical and the metaphorical, and also the heart. And just like it says that, that our heart um, is tied to this, it says that we're to fix our eyes on, our, on, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith in Hebrews 12 too. So then there's some idea of the fact that it's, it's essentially where we set our gaze and our focus is also where our heart will then follow. Do you know, scientifically, if you're lost and you're wandering, whether it's in the desert or out in some place, if you don't set your eyes on some far off point, you'll eventually just wander in a circle. Do you know that? I don't know if it's the curve of the earth or if we just are getting dizzy or if we get discombobulated or whatever, but it's, if you don't focus your eyes all the way out there on something that you're aiming for, then everything, all of a sudden, you'll start to just wander and you'll end up right back to where you started. Zig Ziglar said it this way, if you aim for nothing, you will hit it every time. Yeah, there's something, there's something to be said. Now, okay, so we need to keep our eyes set there, but there's also something to be said for just physically, what are you looking at? Here's what I know. I know that after I spent an entire afternoon binging through Netflix, I'm not better. It's not like, I'm like, oh, I feel great. It's like when you eat a pizza at like 1130 at night, you're like, that wasn't a good idea. But I did it, you know, you're like, I can, doesn't mean I should. Philippians 4.8 says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. So it is, it is both true literally and metaphorically that you are what you focus your eyes and your heart on. We become like that which we consume. And interestingly enough, Luke 12 also talks about the fact that when we set our eyes, if we aren't careful, it will lead to greed. So then it ties it all the way back to the start of this whole thing of saying that where we set our head and our heart, we will slowly drift off the path of what God intended for us. So then don't allow your vision to become dark. Don't allow when your vision becomes dark because then when you can't see, you wander. You wander. You aren't at a place and you, you aren't purposely and intentionally aiming your life towards Jesus. Because in Matthew 6, 24, it says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We cannot maintain for long periods of time a duplicitous life. It matters how you order your life. Let me say that again. It matters how you order your life. And the problem comes, then, and I believe that this also is true, but it comes when we say, I'm free to do what I want. Jesus has set me free. 
All of a sudden, our favorite scripture in, in, is the one where Jesus is talking to the thief on the cross and saying that today you will be with me in paradise. That is absolutely true. God is gracious and merciful and that he sees fit to bring those into heaven that may or may not have deserved it. And I don't wanna be the one to judge that. But what I do know is this, you and I still have a breath left in our lungs. You and I have an opportunity as we sit here to make choices of how we are going to order our lives and that which we are going to serve, that which will be master over us. Are we going to allow God to be the one who guides and directs our steps or are we going to give that to other things? Because ultimately that's what this is saying is that you can't serve both. And when I sit here and I wonder in my own life why in the world my life is falling apart, but then I look at all the things that I'm not doing that Jesus has clearly laid out, then at some point you're gonna sit here and go, well, that just makes sense, right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so he gives it to us. He says, this is how we're to do it. And then it takes, this whole passage takes this quick turn. It takes this quick turn. And as I was reading this, it's all of a sudden, because it's a, it's a famous passage in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, where it says to not worry. It says, don't worry. And, I'll, and maybe, I, maybe the, the younger people won't remember this. Anyone remember the don't worry, be happy song? I, I don't want to put you through the, you know, the doo, doo. can we all sing it together? Doo, doo, doo. Forget it, forget it. But anyways, the whole song is don't worry, be happy. That's what it is. Which if I'm going to be honest, when you read this passage, it kind of feels like that. It's like, don't worry, just be happy. Just walk around. But if we don't read Matthew 6, 25 through 34 in light of Matthew 6, 1 through 24, then this feels like some sort of just a, a stupid childhood wish. Because for me to sit here and tell you with all the things that you're carrying, it's fine, don't worry. Don't worry, be happy. You know, I found it. I found it that time. If, it, if that's what I tell you, this, this sounds so ignorant of what it is that we're a part of. Jesus demands that we consider that he lays out that list that I gave you, the the earthly treasures versus heavenly treasures, the light versus dark, both masters. He lays those out. And when we see them, that when we choose those things, that we choose heavenly treasures and God, and that we choose light, then, then we see that we get God. We get God. That's the gift that we get. And he gets our worries. We are able to cast them on him. It's an awful deal for him, but it's fantastic for us. Absolutely. So Matthew, Matthew 6, 25 through 34 says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall I eat or what shall I drink or what shall I wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Two things I want to mention before we dive into this. One is that I'm not so tone deaf as to know that as I mentioned, even as I say the words worry and anxiety is that it starts to ping some alarms in people. 
I recognize that there are people sitting in here who have tried to set worry aside, who've tried to set anxiety aside, and all it does is make you more anxious. So I recognize that. And so maybe today for you, if this is, some, if this is a battle that you have been wrestling with, and for me to say to you, you need to talk, maybe you need to talk to somebody in counseling or therapy or a conversation with somebody or medicine Maybe it's me just giving you permission saying that you don't have to sit in darkness alone. You don't have to do this on your own. We were never designed to do this alone. God never meant for you to do that. And so if today is the day to give you permission because those, those voices of sin and shame in your life, they are not God. That is not God's voice. And so if that's something that you struggle with, know that there are resources and places to experience freedom from that. So that's the first. And then the second is this. Here's the second. I also feel like it's worth mentioning because I, I, I know that on, on this earth, in this country, and even in this city, that there are people who, in spite of this passage, experience starvation and hunger. I recognize that since I started my sermon, there are people who have died from lack of food. So I don't want to sit here and say this and just go, it's fine. Don't worry. I'll give you food because there are people out there that that wasn't true about. And yet what I also know in this is that this is an issue that, it, that hits, hits me first and that I have an opportunity to do something with that is that we have been given resources to share with other people. And for me to be a person who sits and waits for the billionaires to release their resources so that other people can be cared for, I'm probably going to be waiting for a while and that's not how God designed us to do it. I literally, to get into my car today, I walk through my garage and I walk past an entire pantry of food that is just sitting there waiting for me to eat. It's just waiting for me to do something with. There's a, there's a quote that, I, that just hit me so hard. It's from John, John Stott, and it says this. The most basic cause of hunger is not an inadequate divine provision. It is an unequal human distribution. Let me say that one more time. The most basic cause of hunger is not inadequate divine provision. It's an unequal human distribution. And I'm proud to say the North Gate is a place that on the other side of that wall, there's a food pantry. And that people who are hungry, we, we resource our community and that there are people who receive food because of your generosity. There are people who don't go to bed hungry because of the generosity of what you have done. And that we have our dollar club that releases resources out into the community so you're doing it. And that maybe today, the next step that you are going to take is stepping into as you go to the grocery store today, maybe you pick up five non-perishable items. Just throw them in the cart. And you're not even going to see it in your budget. But those five things are going to allow somebody else to go to bed and they're not going to be hungry and they can feed their kids. So, because here's what I see is that in Matthew 6, 25, it says, don't worry because God will feed you. Maybe we are Matthew 6, 25. Maybe we are the gift. Maybe we get to experience that. So for you, a next step is stepping into the gift of generosity, which sounds absurd sometimes. And yet what I know in this is that when we step into that is that we get to then be the gift and the blessing to somebody else. That's the opportunity that we have in this. We get to be somebody else's, don't worry. How cool is that? How cool is that? And yet I look at this in this whole passage and it talks about worry. And I know that worry expands beyond those two points that I just made. Because we live in, and there's no other word to describe, we live in a thick world. It's just thick. And and I've read this before and I said, well, this is great for Jesus to say in theory, but Jesus doesn't have a mortgage, right? Like Jesus doesn't have to pay what I have to pay. Like he didn't have 7% inflation, I'll tell you that much. Like 
Jesus doesn't have the boss that I have. Not me, great boss. But uh, everybody, you know, it's like, they did, like, he doesn't understand those sort of things. And so this becomes the thing that you just go, can I ever actually get free from worry? Because here's what I know. One in four Americans experience some level of ongoing, persistent worry and anxiety. Oh, and that was a stat before 2020. <laughs> it says that children are experiencing the same level of anxiety as, as psychiatric patients from the 1950s. So there's a level of worry that even our kids are experiencing today that we have no comprehension of. Remember when there was a pandemic? A little thing we had. Remember when they told us to sit in our houses for a few months and then all of a sudden you flip on the TV and they showed you these things? They talked about murder hornets? You're like, I'm sorry? I'm saying, you see the size of that thing? That's not a bee. You ride that to work. You save gas on that thing. Murder hornets? Are you kidding me? Murder hornets. And there's, I think that there's just, we've now become accustomed to in our own lives that there's just this low level of just waiting for the next thing to go wrong. You, I mean, you turn on the TV, you walk out the front door with your eyes closed, you're like, I can barely even look. I just, I don't even know. What's it gonna be? Because again, you're like, pandemic, murder hornets, my bingo cart's full. Like, I don't have any, I, I just don't have any more. We have this increasingly individualistic uh, attempt at living in society just apart from everybody else. I think it's funny that, that Adam and Eve, at the point that they said no to God and put sin in their lives, the first thing they did was go and hide and spend time alone. God's first sign of grace was to ask them, where are you? That he wanted to find them and bring them back into relationship. That word worry, it means, the definition of it means that it's divided into parts, which essentially when I worry, here's what I do. I make a list of what ifs. Do you? I make a list of what ifs that I think, and I think I'm kind of superstitious, that if I what if my way all the way to everything that I've worried about, if I can come up with all the things that could happen, if I worry enough, if I think of those things, then none of those things will happen, right? That's my superstition that I'm like, well, what what if, I don't know, murder hornets. That feels like somebody made that one up, right? But it's what if. And on some level, it's, it's us just trying to outthink God. It's saying, I'm going to, because God, I don't trust that what you're going to give me is going to be enough. I'm going to try and think just a few steps ahead of you. And yet the truth is Jesus understands that we live in a broken world and this side of heaven, it's never going to be made perfect and right. But, but we can't, that we can't just simply not be anxious. But when we worry, it is a declaration of saying, God, I don't actually trust that you're in control. Interestingly, Jesus tells us not to worry right after he gives us a list of things that we are to do. So if you want to know what you're supposed to spend your time doing, spend your time doing Matthew 6, 1 through 24, and then allow God to carry the other part of it. Because yes, there is a Holy Spirit intervention, but then there's also this element of he gives us very clear instructions on what it is that we're supposed to do and the things that we're supposed to do. God creates, God sustains, and then he clearly tells us how to live. We have been empowered to live, work, move, and be, and that's our part of our life. Matthew tells us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to give to the needy. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to fast. And those aren't three simple steps to a worry-free life, but that's a good place to start, right? And then at the point that we start giving, casting our cares upon him, giving those to him, allowing him to then step into the other places, it's it's not to say that worry is going to be gone, but it does say in verse 33, it says, seek first his kingdom. So where do you run first when things start to fall apart? That's just the question I ask you. 
Where do you run first? But the truth is, I know. I know that in the midst of all this, here, I'm a hard worker. At least I'd like to think so. Some of you may disagree, but I'm, I'm a hard worker. I'm conscientious. I want people to know that I have, I've given good effort to things. And some of that comes in the form of worry. Last week, um, like I said, some of the high schoolers are, are stepping into finals time. Our, our, our kids' school is a little earlier, so they actually just finished. They were doing their finals. And because of us moving here and, and having a different schooling situation, it hasn't, it hasn't been a great uh, schooling situation for us. And it's different kids have thrived in different ways. But for our youngest daughter, she's just been a place, it's, it, it's not a great way for her to learn. And so she struggled. I would consider her, I would put her more on the artistic side than on the number side. But she cares and she works really hard. And, I, and, and so she was at a place where one of her grades was teetering to the point of going like, summer school might be the only option here, which of course was not what she wanted. She doesn't want to repeat a grade. She's, she's just at that place of, and she was really concerned. And I was in, I was in my bedroom and I was, it was 1230 at night and I was laying in bed and my son's room is right next door. And I could hear a sound machine, like the white noise going all of a sudden another voice. Have you ever laid in your bed and you just hear stuff going on? You're like, this isn't normal. I don't know what's going on. So I heard another voice in his bedroom say, Alexa, sound machine off. Like, what in the world's going on? I go in there and I see my youngest daughter. She's turned off a sound machine. It's 1230. She's woken him up and she's taken a laptop and shoved it in his face when he's, when he's laying in bed. And she's like, help me fix my grades. I can't do this. I'm like, what, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> like, Jackson, he's sleeping. She goes, I can't find my grades and I don't know what to do. And so I was like, oh, I, I see what's going on here. And so I took her, I took her out and we stood in the hallway at 1230 at night. And my youngest daughter was just overcome with anxiety, overcome with worry. And as I watched the tears stream down her face and her hands started to shake, as I sat there because she had, given, she had done everything that she could and things hadn't changed for her. And so I took my hands and I put them around her little face. And I said, first off, you're tired. You need to go to bed, but you need to trust that your dad is going to fight for you. You are done you don't need to do this anymore and I will fight for you. And I look at this passage and it says, how much does God love the the lilies and the grass and the birds? And I say, you're done fighting. Let your dad who loves you, who is good and gracious and a giver of good things, he wants to fight for you. Psalm 107, 8 and 9 says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirst and fills the hunger with good things. Worry is the belief that we won't be okay, which is different than to actively participate. And you're going to have to find that balance in your own life. Declaring that God is good and loving and protective and a provider is not the same as, as instructing the orchestra to play while the ship, the ship is sinking. It's not the same. It's actively engaging in heavenly treasures in participating and putting your hand and your head and your heart, focusing your eyes on God and on light and on the things that are of him, the things that are eternal and acknowledging that, that anxiety and worry is very real. And that my God is bigger. It's acknowledging that though those things are real, that God cares and he wants to meet you in that. And he will walk through that with you. It's allowing somebody else to say, I can't carry this anymore. Jesus, I have to give this to you. 
I cast my cares upon you. My burden, I can't carry this anymore. Your burden is easy and I will take that on and I trust that you will carry it for me. May you, God. That's what this looks like. And so I would say there's probably, there's three things. There's probably more, but as far as is looking at next steps of what to do, when you read a passage like this, I think it's this. The first one is this, focus on your own private life. And again, I talked about the fact that it's not that if you just do these things, everything will be fine. But I do know this, that as we fill our head and our heart and our time with the things that are heavenly, that then frees God up to do what he's supposed to do as well. The second would be this, is to set your heart and your mind on heavenly things, which is why Paul has the audacity to proclaim that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because here's the thing, we're not, we're not guaranteed a trouble-free life. But if you think that a blessed life is a trouble-free life, you're, you're going to be disappointed pretty much across the board. Because the scripture says that there's enough troubles for today and tomorrow. Anybody ever had those? You're like, oh, I've had, I've had today's troubles. I'm starting to like lean into tomorrow's troubles now. Let's, let's leave those for tomorrow. But allow God to carry those for you. And then I'd say the final one is don't get ahead of God. And I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but allowing him to guide your steps, knowing that he will give you what is sufficient for today and trusting that tomorrow he will be that same good and eternal God. Trusting that he knows you better than you know yourself. And that as we set our head and our heart towards the things of, of, of heaven, that he will take care of these. May we not be people who are so focused on, on trying to accumulate and get what we think we need that we miss what God is doing for us right now. Let me pray for us. So Father, we, uh, we cast our cares on you. We give them to you. We ask for your help and your guidance. We proclaim that you are good. We recognize that in and of ourselves, we can't do this. And yet God, we ask for you to come and meet us in every part of this, including our worry and our anxiety. God, would you, would you orchestrate our, our steps and know that the, the things that we do will make up who we then become. So God, we love you and we trust you in all of that. In your name we pray, amen. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.